This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a very special guest on today's show. That will be Dr. David Kahn. He's regarded as one of the world's leading experts on the history of codes and cryptology. This weekend, National Geographic is having a special on Code Breakers. In fact, that should be premiering on Sunday, March 1st at 8 p.m., naturally on the National Geographic channel. That should prove interesting, so by all means, stick around for segment two today. And we had so much fun a couple weeks back uh, replaying that bit of Perry Schreiner, court-appointed lawyer, that I think I'm going to do a little comedy like that uh, from the archives in our third segment, which will be a classic bit from the Smothers Brothers. Uh, The Smothers Brothers have been around now 50 years, setting a uh, a longevity record for comedy teams. Um, they still got it. I saw them a couple years back, and and I think that uh, a lot of younger people have never heard from the Smothers Brothers, and we're going to do what we can to correct that deficiency in segment three. And at some future point in the program, we're going to air an interview we did with Dick Smothers. Don't mind saying that I have been a fan of these guys from before they were on network television, and uh, you know they're they up there with the great comedy teams, Laurel and Hardy, the Marx Brothers. Abbott and Costello. I mean, the Smothers Brothers are, you know, uh, top flight. But let's begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is February 26th. It was on this date in 1815 that French General Napoleon Bonaparte returned to France from exile in Elba. Despite his disastrous uh, Russian invasion, which resulted in his removal from office, the general got cabin fever on small Elba, and when he came back to France... Oddly enough, the populace rallied to him. When he was finally definitively beaten at Waterloo, they exiled him to the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on the island of St. Helena. He did not make a second escape. On this date, February 26, 1896, shortly after the discovery that phosphorescent crystals exposed to light can create images on tightly wrapped photographic plates, French physicist Henri Becquerel learned that uranium salts can do the same thing even if kept in total darkness. This marked the discovery of the previously unsuspected natural phenomenon of radioactivity. On this date in 1935, in violation of the Versailles Treaty, which prohibited military aviation in Germany, Adolf Hitler signed a secret decree establishing the Reich Luftwaffe, or Air Force, which was headed by World War I air hero and high-ranking Nazi, Hermann Goering. On the same date, across the English Channel, the first radar system was demonstrated in England, tracking a Royal Air Force bomber. The invention proved crucial to Great Britain's defense in World War II and the defeat of the previously mentioned Luftwaffe. And it was 45 years ago yesterday, on February 25th in 1964, that Cassius Clay defeated world heavyweight champ Sonny Liston. Although he was a 7-to-1 underdog, Clay had predicted victory, noting that he would float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Two weeks later, he announced he was changing his name to Muhammad Ali. Our quote of the day comes from former President Harry Truman, who said, It's a recession when your neighbor loses his job, and it's a depression when you lose yours. 
A quip of the day comes from Craig Ferguson, who said, I think everybody should calm down, give Obama four years, see what he can do. Then, if he's a miserable failure, we'll do the same thing we did with George W. Bush. Elect him to a second term. Our joke of the day comes from David Letterman that said, California is bankrupt, and here's how bad things are. They've canceled the next three mudslides. Actually, we'll make that our bonus clip of the day. Instead, make our joke of the day, the email that's been circulated, which you may have seen, about some of the new ice cream flavors that were created to honor George W. Bush. I think this was alleged to be from Ben and Jerry's, but take your pick. Anyway, ice cream flavors to honor George Bush. How about heck of a job, Brownie? That's good. How about WM Delicious? Guantanamo is good, and so is Chunky Monkey in Chief. Impeach Mint is pretty good. Uh, also, Iraqi Road. And uh, I think my personal favorite, Nut and Accomplished. You also have a choice between Housing Crunch or Credit Crunch. And if you enjoy your pistachios and cashews, you may like, I Broke the Law and Killed Thousands with Nuts. Let's see if we can't go to the good, the bad, and the ugly, shall we? According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for going to work with the news that 40% of U.S. workers have dated an office colleague with 31% marrying one. That was according to a Harris survey. It was, conversely, a bad week for mother-daughter relations after it was revealed that unwed mother, Bristol Palin, age 18, told Fox News that in her her experience, abstinence-only sex education, quote, is not realistic at all, unquote. The magazine noted that her mother, Governor Sarah Palin, is a strong advocate of abstinence-only education. And lastly, it was an ugly week, to be sure, last week for confession. After the Vatican announced that men who go to hell, likely for sins of lust, will have their souls pelted with fire and brimstone. That's opposed to women whose souls will be punished, probably for sins of pride, by being, quote, broken on the wheel, unquote. And I want to really thank the Vatican for clarifying what hellish tortures we will be suffering in the afterlife if we're sinners. I'd like to thank a correspondent, Evo, for uh, alerting us to a local news story which has some international uh, connections. This concerns the matter of Roseville-based Loomis Wealth Solutions, which authorities are now saying was a front for a real estate Ponzi scheme that spread over five states and cost investors at least... $100 $100 million. Apparently, three of the employees uh, fled to escape uh, the legal authorities, and one of them, Christopher Jared Warren, was apparently arrested on the Peace Bridge uh, at Niagara Falls with $70,000 in cash in his cowboy boots. He reportedly had taken a taxi in from Toronto, and just prior to this had been jet-setting around in Europe, had been to Ireland on a, on a, uh, on a, on a private jet, had gone over to Lebanon, apparently at some point was showing the flight crew the certificates he had for gold assays for a million dollars in gold. He had at least two phony passports, apparently $6,000 worth of platinum. 
But there's several aspects about this story that I, I'm really enjoying. One was the fact that Evo has seen this guy, Christopher Jared Warren, walk into a bar on numerous occasions and order drinks for everyone in there, tipping the bartender $500. When Evo told his wife he thought this guy must be some sort of crook, he was told, oh, he's just a very young, smart guy that's making a lot of money in real estate. Well, apparently not. Anyway, article in the B by Denny Walsh and uh, Sam Stanton about this. What I find curious is the fact that the owner of Loomis Wealth Solutions is reportedly not in trouble. One has to ask, now, how can that be? In addition to Mr. Warren, a couple of his cohorts, Garrett Griffin Griand III and his wife were basically found as fugitives in Spain having fled the country. And their other cohort, Scott Edward Cavell, left the country on a commercial flight on February 2nd and hasn't been seen since. We will continue to follow that story. And speaking of scams, it appears that Nobel laureate Ellie Weissel's uh, foundation was bankrupted by the actions of Bernard Madoff, who investigators uh, now say clearly made no investments whatsoever for the past decade and a half. The part I love about this story is some people are going to various brokers and saying, I, here's my money, I want you to invest it. They were placing one call to Bernie, who then accepted their money and inserted it into his Ponzi scheme, whereas the investors then <laughs> charged the people trusting them with their funds hefty fees for the, uh, the, the, the research and decision-making they had to do to help keep that cash flowing. On a happier note, I don't think we've uh, we've noted uh, uh, the fact that Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, is is doing apparently reasonably well after her surgery for pancreatic cancer. That that is a bad one. We uh, we do hope that she will continue to do well, but uh, it is nice that this has only come to a head now in the Obama administration. If Ruth Bader Ginsburg had been replaced by George W. Bush, that just wouldn't have been good. You know, it occurs to me we did not do a stat, Mr. McMillan. We need a stat of the day. Well, I've got two in front of me, neither of which are terribly uplifting, but let's go with them anyway. According to the Atlantic magazine, about two-thirds of the people who leave prison in the U.S. are rearrested within three years. How about this one? As the world marks the 200th anniversary of Charles Darwin's birthday, only 39% of Americans say they believe in the theory of evolution. It was noted that of Americans with postgraduate degrees, 74% do accept evolution as a fact. And no, I have no explanation for why that number isn't 99.4%. And yeah, I mean, all month long we've been talked about, you know, they've been talking about various controversies about Darwin, all oh, the things Darwin didn't know, and what Darwin was incomplete, and it's, they, they like to give you the impression, magazine, uh, magazine sellers do, that, um, you know, there, there's a great controversy surrounding Charles Darwin. And while Darwin didn't get every detail about evolution correct, I mean, he, he wrote the book before we even understood genetics, before we had much of a fossil record, before we had any way of accurately dating how old the Earth was. I mean, there was a lot not known in 1859, and in consideration of that, Darwin did one hell of a good job. To, to, to think that the, that the theory of evolution is controversial is like thinking that the theory of gravitation is controversial. And by the way, if the Bible's correct, the earth is flat and the sun goes around us. Okay, take, take your pick on this one. And speaking of the rich diversity of life, 
here on Earth as he tries to work a segue in. A recent study has some good news about the polar oceans. It's often claimed that they were kind of biological deserts. I don't know who was claiming that, but uh, you hear that. But uh, they did a census of what life can be found in the polar region and and discovered that uh, there are thousands of species uh, in both locations, revealing a diversity that some people compare to that of the tropics. And what has biologists really intrigued is that there are many species that are found at both poles, and people are wondering how they, how they manage to get from one region to the other, because there's quite a lot of warm water between the Earth's poles. But I think actually people have a misunderstanding about this. Uh, in the tropics on land, we find the greatest diversity. But once you climb into the ocean, if you're going to look for a, you know, a majorly diverse food chain, you should look where it's cold. In warm regions of the Earth, uh, the warm water uh, is less dense. It stays on the top, and the life that's found there uh, then depletes the nutrients in that area. So if you want to find a great fishery or great diversity of life in the sea, you need to look where it's cold and where the water is sinking and circulating. And uh, even in tropical areas, we find that uh, the, 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 the most diverse areas are where there's upwelling or circulation that brings up cold, nutrient-laden water. But at any rate, uh, the fact that there is this uh, great, rich diverseness of life uh, in both polar regions, well, I just that, that's got to be a good thing. Interesting article, too, in the February edition of Scientific American, titled The Greenhouse Hamburger, article by Nathan Fiala about how producing beef for the table has surprising environmental costs, and reduces prodigious amounts of heat-trapping greenhouse gases. In fact, they did the math and worked out uh, the sort of uh, uh, atmospheric comparisons of what uh, eating and driving, um, how they would stack up for various types of food. This was based on a passenger car getting 27 miles to the gallon. If you consumed half a pound of potatoes, it'd be the equivalent of driving 0.17 miles. Switch to asparagus, it's 0.27 miles. Now, to compare this to eating meat, chicken, chicken comes in pretty well, 0.73 miles equivalent of CO2 emissions, which is almost quadrupled for a half pound of pork, 2.52 miles. But uh, the real eye-opening statistic, half pound of beef, equivalent to driving 9.81 miles. Apparently, some of this has to do with the fact that uh, Beef cattle, by their basic biology, uh, produce a lot of methane, and methane is a much worse CO2, uh, is a much worse greenhouse gas than is carbon dioxide. For those of us not quite ready to go vegetarian, this is something to think about. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, it's time to switch to chicken. Anyway, sorting through the pile here of material before me, which which I amass uh, for every show, but there's more Darwin stuff. Looking at a review of books about the Darwin's sacred cause, how a hatred of slavery shaped Darwin's views of evolution. Well, I'm, I'm sure that that played a role. I'm a little less sure that we need to know about the Darwin cookbook, which is apparently someone's issuing Darwin's wife's recipes. And no, we, we don't know whether his wife's cooking did influence the theory of evolution. <laughs> But uh, even more bizarre than Darwin's wife's recipes uh, was this little item from the February 19th B. Dateline, Hartford, Connecticut. Apparently, Geronimo's descendants have sued Skull and Bones at Yale University, claiming that members stole the remains of the legendary Geronimo decades ago and have kept them ever since. 
The federal lawsuit filed in Washington on Tuesday on the 100th anniversary of Geronimo's death also names Yale University and the federal government. Geronimo's great-grandson, Harlan Geronimo, said his family believes that Skull and Bones members took some of the remains in 1918 from a burial plot in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to keep in its New Haven clubhouse, which is modeled after a crypt. Now, this is quite, uh, quite a story. This alleged grave robbing is kind of a long-standing legend, and it apparently gained some validity in recent years with the discovery of a letter from a club member that described the theft. A theft that involved the grandfather of George W. Bush, Prescott Bush. Evidently, it was Prescott who traveled to Oklahoma in 1918 and with the help of some Army volunteers, uh, dug up Geronimo and took the skull. Of course, uh, responses have been swift. Justice Department spokesman said they will review the complaint and respond in court at the appropriate time. A spokeswoman for Fort Sill declined to discuss the lawsuits. And Yale officials declined to comment. Reportedly, representatives of Skull and Bones could not be reached. We, uh, we talked about Skull and Bones on this program some years back when, uh, in 2004, the nation was given a choice between Bonesman George W. Bush, Republican, and John Kerry, Democrat, for the office of the presidency. Noted, noted an article in the Associated Press, membership into Skull and Bones marks the elite of the elite at the Ivy League school, and only 15 Yale seniors are asked to join each year. Members swear an oath of secrecy about the group and its strange rituals, which apparently include devotion to the number 322. And of course, you may remember what uh, George W. Bush and John Kerry both had to say when they, were, uh, when they were asked about Skull and Bones, which was that they had nothing to say. Anyway, you know, I think it's time we heard from our old pal, America's foremost comic, Mr. Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I want to score Barack Obama's initial foray into the belly of the beast known as a joint session of Congress and call it nothing less than a resounding semi-success. It was State of the Union address light, with only 60% of the expectations of your normal State of the Union. And the new president proved himself an equal to Ronald Reagan when it comes to unbridled optimism, which was good because he spent the entire last month warning us about the true state of the economy, which is bad. Oh, sure, it could be worse, but not by much. The only thing missing is nostril leeches. He echoed chairman of the federal bank, Ben Bernanke, who said we can emerge from this mess in a couple of years if we get the banking crisis under control which is a lot like saying we get to marry the princess and live happily ever after as long as we kill those pesky dragons on the drawbridge and all we got in our pockets is a credit card and a paperclip. Hopefully, though, we elected President MacGyver. The major problem with his blueprint for the future is people were hoping for some more of those pretty white lines on it. And what was Nancy Pelosi doing, bouncing up and down like a cheerleader after her first double espresso? I kept wondering when she was going to pull out the pleated skirt and pom-poms. But an instant poll revealed that most Democrats and one out of every four Republicans were inspired by Obama's FDR impression. I thought he more resembled that other depression hero, Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. And oh yeah, we're going to cure cancer tomorrow. Of course, as I say in the song, tomorrow is always a day away. 
and I have no idea what that means. <laughs> For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Always nice to hear from Will. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and when we come back, we're going to talk about codes and code breaking. This- 